you could turn. It's, it's all downhill, guys, from here. It's just ruined it all. Uh, turn to your Bibles, John chapter 4. We're going to talk about a message that when I, uh, if I have get thrown in at the last minute, something that's on my heart always, and I kind of have like this Rolodex of a message that is somewhat planned, but I have ADD, so it's going to go everywhere, but it's about worship, because I'm, uh, that's my life, that's what I do, I, like my passion and my calling is worship, and so this is something that's been on my heart for a while, and so we're going to unpack, we're going to break down um, what it's like to be a worshiper in spirit and truth, so we're going to read John chapter 4, there's no, um, there's no slides today, so I'm sorry, you're just going to have to... <laughs> You're going to have to trust me that it's all here. It's like, no notes? I don't know what to do. Erin is like freaking out right now because she's the biggest note taker ever. So just listen. We'll get there. I'll tweet out my notes later if you want them. John chapter 4, verses 23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Someone say spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Today, if you're taking message, the title of this is called The Anatomy of of a worshiper. The anatomy of a worshiper. Who took biology in high school? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, when I was growing up, I used to watch the movies about when, when they would go to biology and they would take apart a frog or some animal and they would be dissecting this thing in the classroom. And I, I was super pumped to do that, like through grade school. And like I talked to Pastor Jason, who's my brother. I'm like, did you do your frog yet? And he's like, yeah. We got to cut the frog open and check it out. So again, I don't know what cutting a frog open, learning about its anatomy is going to, I'm going to take that with me some point in my life. I have no idea. But I got to biology in high school and there was no frog. There was a textbook. I was a little sad. I was a little let down. I was kind of excited. Cut open frog. It sounds really gross, but like I was just excited to learn about and get hands on, not read it from a book. But times have changed and biology was a little bit different. So now it's textbooks. Open your textbooks. Let's look at a frog. That is boring. That is not fun. I'm sorry. I, I book, the book's good, but it wouldn't be awesome if you had an actual frog here. We could show me. Get in there. Okay, that's gross. So there was no frog in my biology class. So I didn't get to do that, but I, I, did, I did graduate a little bit early. I got to go to college in my junior year. It's called Jumpstart. So I kind of got ahead on some classes and was able to go to culinary school in, col or in, in high school, my junior and senior year, which was awesome. So my first year, we're going through different courses. You've got to go through the front of the house, how it is to be a waiter, and how it is to manage money, and then the back of the house, how it is to prep food, and then baking. Who loves baking? Raise your hand. I hate baking. <laughs> I failed that course because I don't, I, don't, I don't like measuring cups telling me what I need to do. I just like to, I like to just a little salt there. I can't, I can't do good with baking. I can't do good following instructions. I'm too random. So I, I didn't do good in that. But the next course up was, I think it's called butchery, that one. So I walked into the class and I thought I was ready to see a half a cow laying on a table. They brought in this cow, they literally cut it in half and laid it on the table. I thought I was ready until I saw the thing. And it was like, <clears throat> on this table there's this big cow and this instructor comes in with a knife. The cool thing about it, though, is he's, he's going into the thing and saying, this is why you use this cut of meat, and this is why you don't use this cut, because it's really muscly, and it's going to be really tough, so you have to cook it this way. It was cool to break down and find out why. So the definition of anatomy is the art of separating the parts of an organism in order to discern their position, position, 
relations, structure, and function. The art of separating the parts of an organism in order to discern their position, relation, structure, and function. I was learning about why you did certain things with this cut of meat, why you did this, and that was cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that same idea, and we're going to unpack what it's like to be a worshiper. Come on, somebody. Worshippers in spirit and in truth. The Bible uses all types of stories and guides that illustrate this truth. David was uh, not only a musician, but a, a prolific, or prolific songwriter. More than half the Psalms can be accredited to him. Jesus worshiped in the, in the roughest of times. Countless other stories of this act of worship throughout the Bible. And if it's your first time in church, like, look, I get it. It's a little uncomfortable. You see people lifting their hands, you see people singing, and it's an unfamiliar territory. So we're going to break down and unpack what, it's, what these areas are and, and why we do them, why we do what we do in church. So if you're taking notes, number one is the physical worshiper. The physical worshiper. And in parentheses, you could put faith next to this. This portion of what we're talking about when it comes to worship is the actual act of, of singing. This is the, the, the tangible things. We come in church, we sing, we clap. This is how we lift up songs to God. We do this in a way through physical actions. And who's ever been to a football game? Who's ever been to that point where the, your team is down and it's the, it's the final seconds of and you, you need to score a touchdown. If you score a touchdown, you win. The moment that happens, everyone goes crazy. Everyone jumps up and spills their drink and starts yelling. You hug people you've never met in your life. I've been that person. I got hugged by a guy who had a, hit a soda like right here and he was like, yeah, soda. But I didn't care because it was awesome. But it's a response to what your team just did. And the cool thing is with the physical act, guys, we are celebrating the greatest team. Come on. We're celebrating the victory that Jesus had, and that's why we get excited. That's why we lift our hands. So what does the Bible say about this? In Psalm chapter 134, I've got a lot of scripture, so we're just going to bust through them really fast. But just talking about the different ways physically that we worship God. First one is with our hands. Psalm 134 verses 1 and 2 says, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. The reason I said faith is, come on, who's with me? There's an element of faith that comes when, when, when we come in this place to actually sing, to lift our hands. It takes an action, which is, is faith-based, in my opinion, because we're all broken people, right? Amen? That's, that's a good thing. We're broken people because we need his grace. And if we're perfect people, we're not in the right spot because you shouldn't, you shouldn't be here if you're saying that you're perfect. We are broken people. So to lift your hands and actually say, God, I, I surrender, what, what is this act? It's, it's literally saying I surrender. Okay? If a cop pulls his gun on you, put your hands up, that's surrender. I, I got nothing. This is, this is what this symbolistic act is. This is the physical act of lifting your hands. The second one is, is on your knees. Another true act of surrender in Psalm 65, verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Again, truly an act of surrender when you can bow down and just say, God, this is all about you. And our prayers as a worship team, we literally pray this every week, is God, that you, we wouldn't, people wouldn't see us up here, that we would be able to get out of the way and people see Jesus. Amen? That, that is our call because we're, we're not... We're not good enough up here to be, to, this isn't made anything right unless God is involved, right? We're just playing music at that point. We're just clapping our hands. There's nothing behind it unless we could step out of the way and let God move. So it says, get on your knees, kneel before the Lord. And, and that, again, is another act of surrender. We'll look at the eyes, chapter, uh, Psalms chapter 25. 
My eyes are ever on the Lord. Fix your eyes on him. Who's ever been on a road trip before and you spot something out in the distance and as you're driving, you're like, man, that is like a gorgeous mountain or a cactus or something. <laughs> Maybe not a cactus. Those aren't good to look at, but <laughs> something over there that's cool looking, not a cactus. And as you're driving, if you've noticed, if you don't fix your, if you fix your eyes on that thing, eventually you will veer towards it. And I've done that before. <laughs> As I'm driving, my wife leans over, Jason! And I'm leaning over looking at this mountain about to drive off the road. Um, you got, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because whatever your eyes are fixed on is where you're going to go to. And there's a lot of times in life where we get scattered, where things get crazy, whether you've gone through a divorce or you're fighting for your job or you're facing financial struggle and God's saying, fix your eyes on me. This is a physical act of literally, and sometimes you have to do it, you just have to look tunnel vision at Jesus, and he will guide us. He's not going to lead us astray. Come on, somebody. The third one, or excuse me, the fourth one is lips. Psalms chapter 63, verses 3 and 5. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. My soul will be satisfied as the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Again, with the tongue, it says in Psalm, Psalms 35, verses 28, my tongue will speak of your righteousness and praises all day long. Psalm 40, verses 3, out of, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. There are some times where we just need to just lift up our voice, right? I don't know about you, but when I do that, I, 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 it feels like I've got to give some, some type of faith to that. And that's the part I'm trying to hammer home, is that in order to be the physical worshiper, there's some faith that's involved. But the cool thing is, is our God knows what we're going through. And when he sees that ounce of faith that you're putting out when you're stretching out, God is, he always honors that. I don't know, but if you've ever been in your car and you've been sitting in traffic and your blood is boiling and you have a rock in your hand, what? And that guy just cut me off and I'm going to turn on some worship music and sing. Come on, somebody. Uh, Pastor Justin, can you please visit me in jail? Uh, wanted on charges of throwing rocks at cars. Put some music on and sing. There is something that happens. There's an atmosphere that changes. There's something that happens in this house when you begin to lift up your voice. Come on, somebody. The atmosphere of your life, wherever you're at, will begin to change. All you need is, come on, Jesus, I need your help. Just speak it into existence. And the faith that you, that you put out in that moment, the atmosphere just begins to change. By the way, I've never thrown a rock at a car <laughs> this year. Um, <laughs> been close, though. Traffic's my worst. Like, if, if you want to get me in a bad, just, just have someone cut me off. Utah's famous for that. So just have, CD, just have worship close. Have it on your playlist. Siri, activate, calm down music, and she goes and plays worship. <laughs> the last one is your heart. Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. We give everything that we are to him, all of our heart. The heart is symbolizing this is everything. Without this, we're nothing, correct? Right. Without this pump right here, our body ceases to exist. And so that's symbolizing, God, I give you everything. The stuff that makes me function, my job, my relationship, everything that I've got going on, that symbolizes my heart. I give it all to him. Number two, everyone say number two. The private worshiper. And in parentheses, if you're taking notes, write relationship. Second Samuel verses 24. We're going to look at just a story of David real fast. 
about building an altar. And Gad came that day. This is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 18 through 25 for all the note takers in the house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up, raise an altar to the Lord at the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusites. In verses 25, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague that was averted from Israel. David took a moment out of his crazy life and sat down by himself and built an altar of thanksgiving to God. It's funny how people sometimes be like, hey, you, you know my heart, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? No, I don't. I don't know what you, I, I can't see through your shirt into your heart. I don't know what you really say. Sometimes we have to get in private before God and express our love, right? I love my wife very much. It's her birthday today. She's in, she's in kids, so happy birthday. We'll sing it to her afterwards if you see her. But who knows, I would be in deep trouble if, if, if our relationship was based on, look, honey, you know that I love you. Let's not say it every day. I mean, especially in the morning because the breath is whew, bad. And we just don't have to, we, we love each other, right? We're good. Don't have to say it. No, we, we say that because it's an act, right? I, I want to tell my wife that I love her. Not because I have to. She knows that I love her. But it's, it's an act that I do with her in private. I say, baby, I love you. I also do chores. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Got to wait for the whole story, guys. Don't jump to the end. See, there's acts that you could do. There's acts that, that I could show my love for my wife when we're at home, right? I could, I could do stuff where I can buy her gifts. I can lavish her with love. But if that's all that I do, who knows that it's kind of a weak foundation to build off of, right? If, that's, if, if, I, if I just do that stuff in vain and I don't do anything, but if I don't say that I love her and she just trusts that I know, no. In private, God knows our feelings. God knows all that. But sometimes there's, there's something powerful in, in just taking out moments of your life and stopping and building an altar and saying thank you. And, you know, we don't have to complicate it, church. Sometimes we, we try to get prayers all, all super just drawn up. And thus, Lord, I cometh before thee and boweth thine eye, me. <laughs> build thine altar. And we put a goat on there and burn it and pray. I'm being, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the point is sometimes we try to complicate our relationship with God, right? And when I'm saying the private worshiper, in, in, that is meaning a relationship. God just wants us to take, take him with you on your life. Come on, he wants us the way that we are. The Bible says, come as you are. And as in, in private, we, he wants our brokenness. He wants our frustrated moments. He wants the moments where we don't feel worthy to go to him because we've just said that thing or we've just done something or something has happened, we've just committed sin. He, he, we feel like we have to put on a show for God that he doesn't really know. Like he wants everything of us. And so like I don't, I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm overcomplicating my relationship with God in private to be like, God, I, okay, here we go. Jesus, I worship you. I, Sometimes the best prayer is, God, I, I need you right now. I am so messed up. I am so broken. I am not perfect, God. You know this, but please just, just come and be a part of my life. Be, just comfort me. That's what he wants. He doesn't want this doctored up perfection. So the private worshiper, this is a routine on a daily basis. It's involving God in your everyday routine. Who's had like an old car that you remember those old dial-in radio knobs. My last car had one. It was a Buick. And you, like, when you're dialing into that AM or FM station, and you know, like, you're trying to find it on a road trip, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, 
and you're trying to tune into the one station you can get. Who know, like you, you watch someone, they have to like focus to hear it right when it's dip, 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 perfect. And then you drive a mile and then it's again, you're like, dang it, dip, 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 perfect. God sometimes speaks to us like that. It's an analogy that's kind of silly, but sometimes he's speaking to us to the point where, can you just listen? Dial in the frequency, because sometimes he speaks in a whisper, and our lives are way too crazy to think about that any other time. We get so busy. Come on, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, let's, come on, encourage me here. We get so busy, we get so crazy with life that God's trying to speak to something to us, but we, don't have, we, don't, we can't take a second and just listen. Shh. And it's frustrating. My old radio had to bang the radio for it to work. Sometimes he wants us to just be still. He's speaking to, you. He's speaking to us. He's saying, if you invite me on your daily life, there's, there's so much stuff that I'm going to encourage you with, and I'm going to speak into your life, and you're not going to take that rock with you on the road trip because you're not going to need it because I'm speaking to you. He's trying to instill relationship with us. Let's not complicate it. Let's not complicate it, but I think we have to do these grand things. He just wants us the way we are. He just wants us the way that we are. Number three is the public worshiper. And this is represented by community. We're going to read one of my favorite stories in the Bible right now. It's the story of Paul and Silas when they were in prison. Uh, Acts chapter 16, I'll kind of set it up and then we'll start it in verse 25. So Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 4, do we take it up where Paul and Silas are? He, they're out preaching the gospel. They're out following the commandment that Jesus has set forth, and they get captured and put in prison. Who, would, who knows, pretty much at that point, it's worst-case scenario for Paul and Silas. They're on near death, because that was, that was what they were in trouble for. They got put in prison, and they're sitting there. We take it up in verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. So, supposing that the prisoners has escaped. Who knows that that guy's having the worst day possible? He's sleeping on the job, wakes up, and all the prisoners are, are open. And all, they like, have the cuffs off. And they're like, what's up, dude? He's like, I'm done. I'm fired. I, I have nothing left. But there's a moment that happens when they're worshiping. And, but Paul cried in verse 28, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called, jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought out to them and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in the house. And he took them the same hour to the night, washed their wounds, and baptized them, he and his family. Paul and Silas worship together in the jail cell. When we worship in unity, and again, this is community. This is the church. This is the chances that we have to come together on Sunday. So the first point was the physical act of worship. That's the lifting of hands. That's the singing of your voice. That's all the tangible things that we do in worship, singing in song. Then there's the private worship. That's our relationship with God. Where do we go to him when we're alone? Where, where do our thoughts go? This is going to God in private, and this one is the public worshiper. Paul and Silas were in the midst of public, and they started worshiping, declaring him. And what happened? Someone got saved. When we worship in unity, come on, the walls are torn down, and there is an opportunity for people to see his grace revealed. Someone say amen to that. That is good. He uses our worship. Come on, he uses our brokenness and our guilt to show others that his grace is stronger. 
That dumbfounds my mind because God is taking my broken life and when I could stand and worship that I am providing a story of his grace. Just by what, just because I'm broken, I'm not even doing anything. God, that's how big his, the cross is represented through our, our, our brokenness. And when we come here in unity, come on as a church, who knows that on the left you've got someone, or on the, that's the right. On the right you've got someone that, that you may not know and on the left you've got someone that you may know, may not know. But as you lift up your voice, as we start to worship, come on, who knows that there's a faith that rises. There's so many times where I know people's stories and I see them out there just with their hands lifted in surrender and I just weep. And people around, when they come, they see the story of the cross is magnified by how broken we are. And this is what, when we come together in unity and worship, we edify Christ, we show his workmanship through our brokenness. I love what Pastor Jason said a few weeks ago, his grace is magnified when we come to him broken. It leads people to him when they see how big the cross is based on how broken we are. When we try to perfect everything up and we try to get all dressed up and try to walk in perfect, we minimalize the cross. And we may do it, we don't even realize it, but when we, when we try to, oh yeah, everything's fine, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just gonna stand here and just, I'm, I'm good. I might close my eyes, but I'm gonna keep one open. I don't want anyone judging me. When we have this uh, like a perf perfection idea trying to draw up because we, we worry about other people think of us, we're missing an opportunity to show everyone his grace. Let's not be a church that tries to, to, to downplay what the cross has done by trying to do it in our strength and say, you know what, I'm, I'm fine, I'm perfect. No, we're not fine sometimes. We need to be okay with that. I can't stress enough, church, that it's okay to walk in and not put on this plastic smile and say, no, brother, I'm fine. I'm good. I'll take care of it, me and Jesus. Sometimes getting with each other and worshiping there's some faith, again, in singing. That goes back to our first point. There's faith in lifting our voice. But there's also something happens when we can come together in unity. I'm going to have the team come up. We're, we're, we're going to pray, but can we, I just want us to be this church that when we think about worship, that we don't minimalize it to one section. There's the worship that we have in private with God, but also in unity. But there's some things that happen when we actually declare it. I know that the atmosphere can change, right? And people could see his grace. And that's, that, that, that's our mission. That's what we're here to do. The Bible says he's looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. So if you it's stand to your feet with me, church, we're going to pray. And close this thing out. And I know for some of you that are here for the first time or have been here for a while and, and kind of not sure about the worship deal, and I don't sing very well. We know. I don't sing very well sometimes. I have, like, it's, it's not about how I sing. It's about where my heart is. It's about the position of our hearts when we come in this place. So let's not minimize what God did by pushing aside the cross and trying to do it ourselves. Sometimes he wants those just outcries of, God, help me. In the middle of a song, if we're singing, you don't know the words, God just say, Jesus, I love you. We don't have to overcomplicate this this stuff. It's so simple. Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you've offered us grace. God, I thank you more than anything that we don't have to do anything to earn it. We don't have to even reach for it, God, that you have just given it. You've reached down and you've taken us out. So God, as we go on through our life, as we go into our communities, as we go back to work, God, I pray that you would again continue to sear that on our hearts. 
that we could be worshipers truly in spirit and truth, that we don't have to try to make it up and, and try to perfect everything and try to get it right, Father, because you've already done that for us, Jesus.